Betty. She has such a wonderful gift. And I love to hear Betty play and the fact that she uses that gift for the Lord to worship Him. It says in Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It says in Colossians 6, To continue just as you received Him. Not only are we saved by grace, we're called to live by grace. By His precious grace alone.
to be like Jesus. What, what does that mean? What is he like? Who is Jesus? What does he look like? I mean, in order to be like someone, you have to be able to recognize them. Uh, there's one of the Apocrypha, not of the Scriptures, but there's a description of the Apostle Paul. And in this description uh, of this ancient document, Paul does not sound like a guy that would make it on the cover of GQ magazine or would garner a lot of attention in today's celebrity status. Uh, listen to this description of Paul. He was a man small in size, ball-headed, bandy-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting, rather long-nosed, full of grace. For sometimes he seemed like a man, and sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. He might not have had the looks, but he had the life. His countenance went far beyond his features as he radiated Jesus. You know, it's interesting as you look through the New Testament, a lot of it is in red letters for those of us who've had red edition Bibles with red letter edition, which is the actual words of Jesus. In all those words where Jesus speaks, there's just one little section where he describes himself. And I want to turn there this morning. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to ask you when you find that scripture to stand in God's honor. So I want to read the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, as I come to my knees, Father, I more so want to bow my heart. Father, I pray that each of us this morning would come before You and would confess that You really are King of kings and Lord of lords and that there's no one else who can provide life and can guide us through life like You. Lord, I just ask for Your anointing. Thank You for blessing us so far in this service and I just ask that might continue through this part of our worship. Father, we simply need to hear from You, Lord. We need to worship You this morning. We, we need to catch a glimpse of our precious One, Jesus. As He speaks about Himself, Lord, help us take those words to heart and to look at how that was demonstrated, Lord. We need to hear from You, so please, Master. Speak by your Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. What an invitation that comes from Jesus. Uh, notice again, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We, we mentioned in Sunday school, and it just can't seem to get away from me. It haunts me. How many people are heavy and are burdened 
and feel broken. How many people may not broadcast it? It may be something that just goes on behind closed doors. Matter of fact, it, it breaks my heart so often people who are in close proximity to me. And then I find out later on of some great crisis in their lives. And I, you know, I went by them day after day and never saw it. Jesus sees it. And He has this great invitation to those who follow Him. He says, come to me. And, and He wouldn't say come to me if He wasn't going to be there for His people. We can count on Christ. As He makes this invitation, it's because He really does love us. He really cares, guys. So He says, come to me. And, and notice who He invites. <laughs> All who are weary, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Do you feel like the burden's so heavy you're going to fall beneath a weight? Then that's who he's talking to. <laughs> you fit the criteria. You who are weary and burdened. And what does he promise? He says, I'll give you rest. The guy who gives rest, the God who gives rest. I, I, I love in Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Many of you know it. Even youths, even young men grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the Lord. That's His promise. That's what He provides. And then He comes to His description. After He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, I want to walk with you through that burden he says, I want you to learn from me. And, and, and here's the description. Don't miss the words as Jesus describes himself to us. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And it is there in discovering who Jesus is, that he is gentle and humble in heart. He says, is there you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentleness could also be translated meekness, which is the description of strength under power. To be all-powerful and yet to hold back that power until the appropriate time. Being under submission. Has Jesus, God's Son, under the submission of the Heavenly Father with all power held back to show what it really means? To be strong. Uh, one description was that gentleness is the strength of steel. And, and, and that's Christ. It's not weakness, but meekness. It's not a lack of strength. It's just strength that's under control. It's a word picture of a, of a, a wild horse that's broken so that it can be used for a purpose. Gentleness. The gentleness of Christ. I think of Moses, where it is uh, spoken of him in Numbers 12.3, that he was a very humble man, the most humble man in all the earth. And yet we know that Moses could get, could he get mad. He went up, he spent time with the Lord on the mountain, he came down, the people were worshipping this golden calf, and Moses exploded. And he, he, he came in, in, an, in an anger of, of people who had turned their backs on God and turned away from Him. And then I think of, of Jesus as He was in the temple with the money changers and He overturned the tables because He said, You've made God's house, this house of prayer, a den of robbers. 
Jesus was not weak. Moses was not weak, but they were gentle. They gave evidence of true gentleness. And then notice the other description of gentle and humble in heart. To be gentle, to be humble in heart. Um, Moses as Jesus is a description of, uh, means to stoop. As you trace the word. Imagine royalty, king of kings, lord of lords, stooping for you. That's the cross. God of all stooped on your behalf. That, that's, that's Jesus describing Himself. He's, he's the master and yet He's the one who stoops. He's, he's gentle. He's under control. He's submitted to God the Father in perfect union with Him. And He stoops in gentleness, in humility. And that's no better shown than in John chapter 13. Turn me there, which is where we'll spend the bulk of our time in this message. Because there's a description of this gentleness, of this humility that's shown in Jesus. We just want to march down through the first part of this chapter. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showered them the full extent of His love. Hey, this is it. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's got His followers together. He's got His disciples around Him. And He wants to make a point to them as He prepares to go to die. He wants to make a point. He wants to teach them what to do. How to live. His, what it means to be His follower. That's the heart of Christ. And as He comes here, He wants to show them the full extent of that love. Verse 2, that the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. What a scene. It was the Passover meal. If we could compare it to any of our holidays, I guess we would say Thanksgiving, as we are thankful for all that we have, how blessed we are. The Jews were thankful for God's provision. Ultimately, how He saved them from slavery, how He delivered them and And many of us are familiar with the story of the Passover as the death angel literally passed throughout Egypt and he looked on the doorpost of each home to see if there was blood. Blood of a a perfect lamb, a sacrifice. And God had He had shared what that sacrifice needed to be and and that people had to meet that as they prepare to sacrifice, and they take that blood and put it on the doorpost. If that death angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over. If not, then there was a death of the firstborn. And amazingly, Jesus at this time, they couldn't understand what He was trying to say, the sacrifice that He was going to make. But He was basically saying that I'm going to be the sacrifice that takes care of all the other sacrifices before me that happen year after year and for family after family. And this will be the one-time sacrifice that covers it all. And it's going to be me. And He, he gathers them together. He, he wants to share from them what this spirit is like, what this attitude entails, what it encompasses 
And Judas is there, ready to betray Jesus. The one that had been with him was a part of it. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, what were the disciples doing while Jesus was doing this act of service? He takes the robe off, he, he takes the water, he prepares to wash his feet. What were they doing? Well, in a parallel passage, turn with me to Luke 22, the gospel, of course, preceding the gospel of John. We discover, while Jesus is preparing to serve them, what they were doing. We'll start at verse 22. Uh, Jesus says, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Isn't isn't this interesting? Jesus, who was ready to die on a cross, who was willing to give up everything so that others might have life. And He's talking to these guys. They've hung around Him for three years. They've soaked in His teaching. They've sat under Him. They've ministered with Him. They've been around Him continually. And you would think by this point, they would understand His heart. They would understand what it really means to be great in God's kingdom. And yet, what do they do? They're arguing about, Pete says, you know, I'm better than you are. I'm the greatest. And John said, if you don't shut up, I'm going to smack you. And James said, I'm not the only son of thunder around here. Y'all better get it, y'all better get it straight or we're going to go. We're going to tangle. And there's this argument that brews among the twelve about who really is the greatest. Who's walked with Jesus the closest? Who's served Him the best? Who's been there for the Master all the time? Who is it that really deserves that prominent place in heaven beside Jesus? And as this argument breaks, here's Jesus. He's in the background. He's preparing to wash their feet. He's, he's serving them. He's preparing to do that while they fight. While they're concerned about Who's going to get the attention? Who's going to get the recognition? Is during that time that he's serving. Why is he serving? Why in this time before the Passover celebration? Well, number one, I think he wanted to deal with their pride. I am convinced that we are so full of ourselves. We don't even know we're full of ourselves. We are so self-consumed that we can't even recognize how selfish we are. Our days typically revolve around our own schedules, our own lives, our own comforts, our own conveniences. And we typically miss the Master. And I believe in this time where Jesus was preparing to go to the cross to make that ultimate sacrifice, that He wanted to get through to these guys. They're arguing about who's the greatest, but He wanted to show them what greatness really is. That it's willing to stop and to see dirty feet. 
that it's willing to stop and to see real need. It's willing to notice that your neighbor. It's willing to see their hurt. It's willing to, to go to them and to minister and to wash feet, guys, and to see what's really happening around you instead of always having to be served. Instead of always having to be on the pedestal. <laughs> but ready to take the basin. It must have broke Jesus' heart. He must have thought, man, can't you guys just quit for a moment? Secondly, uh, second reason he did it was they really did have dirty feet. Their feet were caked as, with dirt. And it was, a, it was typical among the Jewish households that the dad would lead the way, head of home. As the visitors and others would come in, he would clean their feet. He would clean the feet of those in the house. And that was passed on to the oldest son. He was to take that responsibility and he was to learn how to wash the feet of those that entered the house. And I'm sure Jesus must have thought, guys, you've been with me for three years. You've watched me care about other people. And I wish you knew how to wash feet. I believe uh, that must have been in the heart of our Lord as He prepared to stoop before them and to wash their feet. Uh, here's Peter <laughs> uh, let me start verse 5 it says after that he poured water into a basin began to wash his disciples feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him he came to Simon Peter who said to him Lord are you going to wash my feet Jesus replied you don't realize now what I'm doing but later you'll understand no said Peter you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered unless I wash you you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Here's Peter. He loved Jesus. He, he wanted to follow Him, but he, he didn't really understand what it meant to be humble and to be gentle. And he... He came to Jesus and he just, he wanted to serve Jesus. He wanted to be faithful to Jesus, but receiving something, sometimes that's one of the hardest things for us to do, is to receive grace from somebody. We want to be seen as strong. We want to be able to handle our own problems. We don't want to be a burden to someone else. And yet part of the blessing of the way God set us up, guys, is to be ministers of grace. And that means you have to have somebody to minister to. Peter didn't want to be ministered to. James Frog Sullivan tells a, a story in a, a book that he wrote several years ago entitled The Frog Who Never Became a Prince. And he described himself as very active in his church, very faithful to serve the Lord, and very busy always in control until his wife had a nervous breakdown, ended up in the mental hospital. And his life fell apart as they had three small kids. Somehow he had to, he had to go on. And as he found himself and his world falling apart, the church stepped in. People he had been ministering to faithfully. He had handled a number of posts in the church. And now he was broken. And suddenly the people of God began bringing meals over to his house. 
Suddenly people began volunteering to watch his small kids. Suddenly people started calling and, and, and saying, you know, let me do this for you. Let me cut your grass. Let, let, me, let, me, let me pray for you. Let, let me be there for you, James. And it impacted this guy. This guy that was so self-sufficiently suddenly realized, I need grace. I want you to listen to this description uh, from James Sullivan. He writes, The thing... Uh, his wife later got better and life kind of got back to normal. When he writes this, he says, The thing that destroys a good many of us as Christians is our inability to relate to each other in a warm, compassionate, honest sort of way. Even to those whom I was close, I failed in this endeavor. I was so busy being a doing Christian that I had forgotten what God had called me to be. For so long, I did not know that a Christian is supposed to let someone love him. I thought that he was supposed to always be loving somebody else. I didn't think it's necessary to let anyone love me, including my wife, Carolyn. Sometimes, that in the context of my Christian faith... I thought you were adequate if you could love people, but inadequate if you let them love you. Great things began to happen in my life when I found out how much I needed love from Carolyn and the children. I came to terms with how much I needed other Christians around me, how much I wanted recognition with love from the high school kids and the world that God had made. I began to realize that God is the one who gives and we are the one who receives. How long it takes for some to receive without embarrassment. What words? Peter, at first, he said, you know, Lord, I, I, you just can't, I can't. And look at Jesus' answer, verse 10. He said, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet, his whole body's clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. He was saying to him, you, you know, Peter, you've been washed. By me. You've been made clean. I'm not saying that you have to be born again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You've been born again. <laughs> but you need to walk with me. You need to come before me. You need to let me clean your feet. You need to, you need to remember me. You need to grab my heart and grab hold and live for me. You just need to be reminded, Pete. Peter, you need to let me work in your life. And then he said, but not everyone here. Of course, he was speaking about Judas. He said, not every one of you here is clean. Just a warning. Guys, if you come to church, but you haven't come to Jesus, there's a big difference. Big difference. Don't leave here coming to church and not coming to Christ. It's missing it all. It is missing it all. Okay, I want to give some lessons about uh, this idea of the heart of Jesus, being humble, being gentle. Just a few observations as we look at Christ here. Um, you know, it's not surprising as you read in one of Peter's letters, he says, close yourselves in humility. And I think when he wrote those words, he must have been thinking about Jesus. Pulling back the robe and ready to wash feet. <laughs> His that didn't want to be washed. Lesson number one. Um, notice what he says here in verse 13. Uh, starting at verse 14. 
or verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Lesson number one with humility. When something is achieved that matters, it's not just you who made it happen. God works through people together. I'm convinced that His way of making things happen that matter is is working through a group of people. Very seldom does something get accomplished where it's just one person that God uses to make it happen. And that kind of spirit of understanding that it just wasn't you is God's plan because you begin to see how God used other people around you to make something happen. So what do you do? You say, man, that person's great. And you build that person up. And you say, God, thank you for that person in my life. Thank you that with the help of that person, and this one and that one and this one, this was done for your glory. As we think about Bible school, as we think about blog parties, as we think about church, Sunday school, everything that we do, it's not just one person. It's the body of Christ working together. Recognition doesn't need to be just for one. It needs to be for all. Um, you guys know I'm a big basketball fan. And uh, I've always been intrigued with the talents of uh, LeBron James, this high school kid that just does all this stuff. And this is nuts, but there is a uh, guy I went to high school with. His brother, I don't know exactly how this happened, but he is the Olympic wrestling coach for Puerto Rico. And so at this last Olympics, you know, he, he was over at the Olympics overseas, and... Uh, this guy's name is Steve. And Steve was sitting down. He was eating lunch. And uh, this guy came up and said, Sir, do you mind if I sit down and eat lunch with you? And uh, he said, uh, Sure, that'd be fine. He looked up and it was LeBron James. And he said, LeBron James sat down and everything was yes, sir, no, sir. Um, tell me about yourself, sir. And he was just like, wow. Here's this guy that gets so much attention and he's saying, yes, sir, no, sir. Anyway, uh, LeBron James won his first MVP this year, and in part of his acceptance speech, I want to read to you uh, some words that he, he wrote. He credited his Cavaliers teammates who were there with him and his coach uh, for the accomplishment. He said, Individual accolades come when team success happens. You look at those 14 guys over there. I got the award because of them. <laughs> They put in the work. It says then that he invited his teammates to the podium, presented each of them an expensive camera. This award's going to be like both of ours, but I'm going to keep it at my house. <laughs> so, number one, when, when humility is in effect, when gentleness is at work and God's working through people, it, it's more than one. Usually he works with a group of people. Secondly, um, there needs to be acknowledgement of the greatness of Christ and what we do. We need to always look to His greatness and elevate Jesus. Uh, decades ago, there was a group of people, that uh, English tourists, that went into the home of Beethoven. And as they walked by, there was a guide with them, and he looked, he pointed over to a section where there was Beethoven's piano. And he said, here is the master's piano where he would sit and play. And this one lady, she jumped across the rope and she began to sit down and play one of Beethoven's works. And after she, she played, she jumped up and said, 
man, there must be a lot of people that come through here and play this piano. Beethoven just wrote so many great works. And the guy said, well, actually, that's not true. He says, as a matter of fact, um, the famous Polish concert pianist Paderewski came here and, uh, not that long ago. And when I told him this was uh, his piano, someone asked him to play and he said, I'm not worried that he even touched the keys. He, he understood. He, he understood his place. And, and, and that's so important. True, you know, we need to understand. It is Jesus who gets the attention. It is Jesus who receives the praise. And we're his servants. He loves us. He wants to use us. But we're not the center of attention. It's our Lord that's the center of attention. Third, happiness results from demonstrating humility, not simply talking about it. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's not enough to read up and be an expert on washing feet. We're to wash feet. And we need to be careful how we do it, with gentleness and humility. Man, don't get before somebody with scalding water and say, Stick your feet in here. We're going to burn off all that dirt. It's not scalding water. Or, here's a blow dryer. Let's dry clean those babies. They stink, but they'll they'll be good when I get done with them. Perfume them up. We need to... Understand how we're to wash people's feet. We need to respect them. We need to to be sensitive to their feelings and to their needs and their heart and that Jesus loves them fully. And we we need to have His heart. We need to have His eyes. And we, we need to love as He loves. And we need to serve as He serves. And we don't need to just talk about it. We need to be people who do it. We need to be foot washers in a modern way. Um, we're going to prepare to put our focus on the one who is gentle and humble in heart by partaking of the Lord's Supper together. In a moment, we're going to prepare our hearts because we want to remember the supreme example of a servant. And as we partake, we're reminded how much He gave. He gave it all. He gave it all. For I do want to uh, close with a story of the importance of our life being marked by gentleness, humility. And uh, in this section of the country, this illustration probably will resonate among you guys. It deals with SEC football. <laughs> the old days of Paul Bear Bryant. And it was a game between Alabama and Auburn. As big a rivalry as there is in college sports. Uh, the first string quarterback for Alabama had, was injured. Uh, Bear was about to send in. Bear Bryant was about to send in the second string quarterback. Um, they're on the 15-yard line. They're up by five points. There's not much time left. The clock is ticking just under two minutes in the game. It was first down. Bear Bryant yells in the hole of the helmet of his second-string quarterback before he sends him in the game, Run it four times! Do not throw the ball. Run it four times. Run all four plays. Then if we have to hold them, our defense will come through and we'll win. It's a second-string quarterback. He... He entered the game. Uh, he was fired up, full of himself, and ready to go. Second down, Auburn held him. <laughs> Third down, they didn't gain a yard. Finally, it was fourth down as they were preparing to uh, uh, 
for uh, to run the ball. There was a handoff that was botched. <laughs> Somehow the quarterback ended up with the ball. And he's, he's running, he looks over in the end zone, and, and man, there's a receiver that is wide open. He gets excited. He throws the ball, but what he did not see was the defensive man for Auburn who happened to be the fastest man on the field. And he also saw where the ball was going. And so he ran, got to the ball before that receiver caught the ball and took off downfield. And man, this was it. This was the end of the game. He takes off flying down the field and the last man to catch him is his second string quarterback who's not very fast. But somehow, amazingly, he caught the guy and tackled him and that's how the game ended. <laughs> so after the game, the coach for Auburn came to the coach of Alabama, Bear Bryant. He said, now listen, there's one thing I just do not understand. He said, I read the scouting report the guy on my team is the fastest guy on the field. That second string quarterback, the report said that he is not very fast, that he's slow. How could he possibly have caught my guy? He said, well, it's like this. He said, your man was running for the end zone and for a touchdown. My man was running for his life. This is how we're run. With humble, gentle, I'm going to ask the deacons to come as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Prepare your hearts as we prepare the table. Jesus not only washed their feet, He did a lot more, didn't He? He provided true service. He saw a need greater than just dirty feet. He saw a dirty heart that had to be paid for that led Him up a hill to die on an old rugged cross. And that's why we're here. To remember what He gave. To remember His love that was shared. And as we prepare to remember through the ordinance of taking communion of the Lord's Supper, let's bow our hearts. Jeff, will you pray?